Welcome to the Monetary Mixtape with Will Hoffman, founder of Hoffman Wealth Management. In this podcast, we help fellow Gen Xers simplify complex wealth issues that are important to Gen X. We do this by cutting out the mundane material and using a refreshing approach to finances in a way this skipped generation appreciates. Join us for this ride where we explore financial planning and wealth management as Will Hoffman draws from almost 20 years of experience and brings to you qualified guests to help be your latchkey to tricky monetary affairs. Welcome to Monetary Mixtape with your host, Will Hoffman, where we talk about the ever-forgotten Generation X. I'm Wendy McConnell. Well, Will, we have a guest with us today. Yes, we do, Wendy. And and, in a continuation of our series on education planning and and preparing Gen Gen X's children for the next level of their education, today we have Jack Delahy from New Era College Consulting on with us. And Jack, I'm not even going to try to explain. I'm going to let you do it. Tell us a little bit about your business, what you do, and how you got uh, how you got into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both for having me on, Will and Wendy. This is a, this is a pleasure and an honor. My background really starts at this point, 13 years ago for myself, when I was a senior in high school in Concord, Massachusetts, small town right outside of Boston, oldest of four kids in my family. And to be honest, I struggled mightily on my own with college planning and thinking about the next steps. And I grew up with two very supportive parents. And it was the first time in my life I remember saying, hey, mom and dad, can I, you know, what would you do? Can I have help with this process? And for the first time ever, I kind of got that blank stare of like, we don't, we don't really know how to help. Like we can try. And, um, It was at that time it was, I realized, okay, I've got to figure some of this out on my own. Um, I went to a public school. There was a guidance department. The guidance department was, as you can imagine, dealing with 300 other kids at the same time. Right. So that personalized support just wasn't there. And, you know, I didn't expect it to be, but there was a lot I had to figure out on my own college planning journey on my own. And so once I did figure it out. It felt like by the seat of my pants every day. Um, I felt lucky to end up where I did. I had four incredible years at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, but I did feel like I got lucky to be there. If I'm being completely honest, I did not have a real thoughtful plan to end up there. It just kind of happened. And so I said, all right, I'm going to make it my goal to kind of give my younger siblings a little bit more of a plan and structure to their college planning journey. Um, and basically I just outlined all the things I would do differently (laughs) if I could do it again, uh, and said, and all the things I did wrong and said, don't do these. Right. Um, and then what's crazy is while I went through college, people talked and next thing you know, you know, other moms were reaching out from Concord and also elsewhere and saying, Hey, we hear you kind of have this, you know, a college plan. (laughs) Can you help us with it? And so I did it for free throughout all of college, love doing it, you know, a handful of high schoolers every year. And then I said, as I got out of college, said, hmm, you know, I think I could really, I could do this. And it seems like it's very necessary. It's a needed uh, solution. And I think I'm good at it. And why don't we give it a shot? And now here we are, right? That's, I guess, nine years after that moment when I graduated from college. And I've worked with almost 200 families across the United States at this point, um, coast to coast all over the country. And my goal is pretty simple. I want to help provide a stress-free college planning journey. 
and a successful one to not just high schoolers, but also parents of high schoolers. Awesome. That's incredible. And, and congratulations on the success that you've had um, kind of in our uh, virtual green room leading into this, this call. You did mention that um, entrepreneurship is not something that's uncommon to you though, right? That is correct. Yes. Uh, from an early age, you know, my, I'd say probably the first kind of entrepreneur before I really knew that word that I saw in action was, was my father. Um, you know, he would tell me stories even back in the day about when he was in high school running, you know, an exterior painting company. And so, yeah, there's definitely a huge part of me that said, oh, I want to be like that too. And so I started my own exterior painting company. Ironically, the first project we got was my father's barn in the backyard. <laughs> and I will tell you this, we did not do a great job. Oh, no. <laughs> that was that was the very first project. I was still teaching myself how to paint houses. And uh, I mean, but that's just my dad, right? He's so caring and kind. And his goal wasn't to get the barn painted. It was to teach me those first steps and, you know, taking right. that goal. And he couldn't have cared less if I messed up the barn, um, which looking back was was huge for me. Um, sure. It instilled that, you know, I could do that. And so um, along the way, I've had, you know, kind of mini businesses, et cetera. And actually, I've got a kind of a side business that I also run right now where I put huge signs on rooftops of buildings near airports. It's called flyby ads. Um, and it's a, it's a side project and I love doing it, but that kind of entrepreneurial nature has led me to really what my main project is, which is helping high schoolers across the country, constantly searching for better, more improved systems and direction to give high schoolers. So they truly can feel confident on their journey. They only get to go to college once, and I want to make sure that where they end up going is the right fit, and that they have a path to actually get there. Awesome! That's a, that's an incredible message, and um, I'm sure their parents appreciate it because their parents are are Gen Xers right now, and um, I'm sure the college search and the college application process is much different now than it was when when we were looking to go to school. Can you talk a little bit about what the differences have been and what you've seen? is a reaction from those parents as to what they thought versus what, what they need to be doing. Yeah. I mean, what hasn't changed? <laughs> <laughs> right. If I'm being honest, it's, it's pretty stark. The difference. Um, I think I actually need to confirm this. I think my parents each applied to like two schools <laughs> right? And, and got into one and went to the one they got into. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and guess what? They had a great time. Yeah. So I'm not saying that wasn't appropriate at the time, but uh, let me tell you, if you came to me as one of my students right now and you said I'm applying to two schools, I might have a heart attack. <laughs> as probably many of the listeners know, college admissions trends have been plummeting really the last 20, 30 years. I actually want to share some data with you on sure. this right now because it's pretty stark. So this is just from the year 2000 to the year 2022, right? Harvard's admissions rate in the year 2000 was 11%. Want to guess what it is now? Six. Three. Three. Holy cow. Yale, 16 to four and a half. Princeton, 12 to four. Cornell, 31 to eight. Stanford, 16 to four. That's in 22 years. Wow. So what, what do you attribute that to? Or what, what's that attributed to? A lot. So okay. I mean, first of all, in fact, our population is growing. More people are going to college, right? That's okay. That's uh, that's probably at the top of the pyramid. Um, second, there is now right. It's a it's a trend where students are realizing that to put themselves in the best position to for chance at success, you should apply to more schools. Well, guess what happens when your peers are applying to more schools? 
in order to keep up, you need to apply to more schools. And then it becomes a never ending cycle. Right. So when my parents just a generation ago applied to two colleges, got in one to one. Now in my program with my students, I teach them to truly have a final school list somewhere between eight and 16 schools. Now that might seem like a wide range, actually just even a couple of years ago, that range for me was eight to 12. And then there was what I would say is the third portion to answer your question, which is the ramifications of COVID. Once COVID hit, schools across the country went to a test optional policy. Just to explain this a little further, when I applied to college in 2010, I had to submit an SAT or ACT score to every school I applied to. And except a tiny sliver of schools at that time, every school across the country said, if you even want to apply here, you must submit a score. Well, guess what that did? That made it so actually it was like self-selecting at the start. If you knew your score was so drastically lower than the average student who is going to get admitted, you just, you didn't apply. Gotcha. But guess what? Now we have test optional. And now students are getting into Harvard without submitting a test score. Now, just so you know, the majority of students getting into Harvard do submit their test score. But guess what this means? (laughs) This means that you've got a lot of students out there who are like, if I write a killer essay and I've got great grades, I got a shot. Yeah, take a shot. Right. They're not wrong. Okay. And so we've just seen applications skyrocket since COVID. Now, is this is this test optional trend here to stay? Or is this something that you're going to see reverting back to a mandatory test at some point? So it's a great question. The short answer, just so you know, is I have no idea. <laughs> okay. The short answer is also no one has any idea. And if you ask even the directors at College Board who are on the SAT, they probably can't give you a confident answer. Okay. Um, technically, by the way, the decision isn't with the college board, it's with the individual schools. And so we have actually already started to see a slight trend of very STEM heavy schools, right? Go back towards test mandatory. So like the first one to kind of make the leap back to test mandatory was MIT. Okay. This past year. And it kind of makes sense, right? If you're going to be an engineer and you're going to try to shoot rockets into space, I would hope that you can, (laughs) you know, do fairly well on your SAT. Gotcha. But uh, the majority of schools have stayed test optional. What this means is, like I said, if you don't get a good test score, right, there's there's a chance. But just from a college admission standpoint, so that the listeners are clear here, it is still very beneficial if a high schooler can get an elite test score to submit it. So my teaching in my program is act as if the test SAT or ACT is mandatory until senior fall and only senior fall. If you're still struggling to get a score that you think is exceptional that you want to submit, then let's have a conversation about you not submitting it. Um, Because the other approach is, well, it's test optional. So let me just never study for it and take it. It's still a huge, crucial data point. And in fact, really the only objective objective data point in college admissions that is there across the board right? Like essays right. are subjective. Um, even yeah. I, I watched your YouTube video about the okay. objective and, and subjective, um, you know, parts of the application process and right. learned a ton from that. Yeah. And so I think for that reason alone, due to it being really the only objective across the board, universal characteristic, I think that testing will never go away. My guess is it will stay test optional for a while. <laughs> And possibly forever, but again, it's going to be that 
it's going to trend more towards students realize, oh, if we're really talking about a top 30, 40 school in the U.S. here, I am drastically reducing my chances of getting in if I don't. Submit. Gotcha. And to be honest, my opinion, I think that's pretty fair. Like, sure. If, you know, for a lot of these elite schools, if you want the best chance, submit a great test score. And if not, and you're going to, you know, hold hope that you can get in without a test score. That's great, too. But I think that's kind of fair. Can I ask yeah. a question? With the amount of schools that you want um, students to apply to, what is the average application fee these days? Great question. Anywhere between 40 and $80. A little trick here for your listeners. Pretty much every school across the country, if you just ask for a discount or free code to apply, oftentimes we'll just give it to you. So all oh, these schools, good to know. All, it's great yeah, to know. <laughs> all these schools have, you know, just like you've probably been shopping online, right? And it's like discount code, or you like Google coupons, or you yeah, know, or you use Honey, right? That like add-on where you can get coupon codes. It's the same thing. So on the checkout page for the application fee, there's like internal codes that make it everything from discounted to free. And no, I'm not guaranteeing that they're going to do this, but I mean, I've seen it <laughs> where <laughs> you just ask and you're like, hey, I'm applying. Do you have a discount code? All you have to do is ask. We'll yeah. just give it to you. So, but if you don't do that, somewhere between $40 and $80. Good to know. That's a, that's a heck of a tip. Um, so when you're starting to work with a family, um, what what is there a specific process that you put them through or, or ask them to engage in? Um, to so that you can learn about the 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 situation, the 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 kid, the schools that they're wanting to apply to. Yes, there certainly is a process. So I'll kind of give you a little step back in how my teaching methodology has grown over the last thirteen years or so. For the first many years, I was strictly one-on-one -on -one coaching, and what that meant was, and it was virtual. But what that would mean was, right, I'd get on back in the day, a phone call or then a FaceTime. And now it's a Zoom with a student, a parent, and pretty much every one of my coaching sessions would be, okay, where are we? How are we doing? Right. And then I started to build out tools such as like, you know, college trackers, list trackers, two-year timelines. Um, I've even built out a tool called the decision matrix to help students make their final decision. But the point was, it was very much every call would start as let's get a status update. Where are you? And that worked for a little bit, but I decided I could do better. And so actually in like the heart of COVID, I basically built out, I said, there are certain aspects to college planning that apply to every high schooler across the United States. It doesn't matter if you're applying to, you know, your local state school or you're trying to apply to Harvard, regular decision is going to be due January 1st. Early decision is going to be due November 1st or 15th. These are things that are unmovable, right? It's right. going to be that case. You should strive to take your SAT or ACT typically over your junior year. Again, it doesn't matter for the student. Now, there are certain aspects, right, for the student that are very personalized. But I said, okay, can I develop kind of a, a two-year curriculum that basically just makes sure that my students are on track so it's not... So every call, I'm not saying, so where are we? It's, oh, I know where you are. Now let's immediately get into the next steps, right? And the personalization. Okay. So I built out a two-year curriculum. Um, my students have to progress through it. 
they sign an agreement with their parents on day one of joining my program that they'll commit to it. Just like, you know, your basketball guy will any coaching athlete relationship. The coach is only as good as the players willing to try. Right. Sure. And so I have them sign an agreement that says, this is a two-way commitment. I am here for you, but you've got to be willing to put in the work in this curriculum. What that means is it's allowed me to honestly, as a coach do perform so much better because instead of using the first 20 or 30 minutes of every call to really just kind of figure out where they are, I start minute one with a full understanding of exactly where they are on this typical two-year journey. And we're immediately talking about the personalization aspect, right? The student knows that early decisions coming November 1st of their senior year, that doesn't have to be a discussion. It's in the curriculum. We're talking about, okay, let's identify a school that's a fit for your early decision window. Let's identify what interests you want. Let's identify, are you interested in a big school, a small school, a school that has a campus, a school that doesn't have a campus, right? These are aspects that are really fun to talk about and personalized, but it basically all now sits on this foundation of a step-by-step curriculum that students go through that takes them somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes of work every week. Okay. And and do most of your students know what they want to study? Um, if they don't, is this, does the process change at all? Such a good question. I'll give you, I'll start my answer here with a little question to you, Will. Do you know what the most common major selected by high school seniors when they apply to college is in the United States? Um, I am just guessing here, but I'm going to say undecided. Got it. Nice. Well done. (laughs) Now I bring that up because you can get into any school in the country technically checking the box undecided. Okay. Okay. That is the case. And so, you know, working with almost 200 students now, I'll tell you it's about 50, 50, about a hundred of my students. And by the way, I was one of these students. Same. I got got in. Okay. I got into (laughs) Vanderbilt as an undecided major. That was truly the box I checked. Vanderbilt still accepted me. Um, About 50% of my students are in that bucket and 50% know their major. Now let's talk about briefly pros and cons. I am a strong believer that just forcing a student to check a major box without actually having a passion in it or being interested at all is a mistake. Yeah, I'd agree. A lot of times families do come to me, right? Particularly this comes from the parent and they say, well, eventually, right, he needs to, he or she needs to get a job. And so like he needs to figure out his major. And that's usually when I have to, you know, do what, I think I've become pretty good at doing, which is play that middle ground of I work with students, but I also have to guide parents. Okay. And if a student doesn't know what they want to do, I have tools, resources, even things like quizzes and surveys to help them figure out their interests. But if truly they get to the point where they're like, I actually want to use my freshman year of college to explore what I want to do. (laughs) That's okay. That's very much okay. And I actually think that's better than forcing a major down their throat and saying, no, you've got to apply to this. Now, just right. to cool. Because the- then if you think about it, how many of us are in the you know course of study or career that we we went to school to study? You know, I, I started pre-law, um, obviously not a lawyer. Um, you know, I many friends who, you know, business major management degree, who's a state police officer, you know, so many of us are not in the career or in the direct path that 
18-year-old Will said, oh, this is what you're going to do. Oh, if I was going to do what I was going to do, I was going to IU to to help coach under Bobby Knight, and I was going to be the next, um, you know, Mike Krzyzewski. Um, clearly, that's not the course of action that that I ended up on. So, yeah, it's 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 got to be tough. And does that does that play into the role of the school that they pick? You know, who gives them the most options? Um, who gives them the most upside to to discover what it is they'd like to do or or how they'd like to do it? Right, and this actually kind of aligns with what I call the pros of actually picking a major. So if I walk students through kind of a, you know, find your passion style survey, quiz, ask them questions, figure it out. And we come at the end and say, oh, actually, I think, you know, X, Y, or Z could be an area of interest for you. Choosing a major helps because it helps define a clear path for college. The four main criteria to college admissions are number one. The most important factor is your high school grades and the rigor of classes you take. By the way, this is what has not changed in 30 (laughs) years. That has always been the case and always will be. Okay. So I know this question started out with what has changed. That is not, that is still the most important factor. Right. And just, just in case Liam Miles and Nolan, my boys are listening, you still have to get good grades. You heard it from Jack. You will hear it from me. You still have to study hard and get good grades. Sorry. That was a little uh, parenting moment there. Yeah. And sorry, I'm going to like circumvent your parenting moment and I'm going to put a nice little (laughs) asterisk on that. If you are an elite athlete, this becomes slightly less important, but you can, you can mute that out. Well, see, I'm, I'm, and being, uh, not that I, I don't hope that there's an elite athlete under my roof, but I'm familiar with the gene pool. And, uh, if that's an indicator, boys, you still need to study really hard. (laughs) Uh, So The second most important factor in college admissions is your standardized test score. Now, we just talked at length about how you actually need to submit that. But if you get a good score, it will be your second most important factor. Third, typically your college essay or these days essays, there's the common app personal statement, which is the main essay you'll write. And then there's supplemental essays. Does every school require an essay? Is that is that a standard practice? Now, I don't remember writing one. The common app personal statement goes to almost every school in the country. Okay. Right? It's one essay that you then use through this common app portal called the common application. You fill in your information once, your details once, and it goes. You can press and say, send to that school, send to that school. This has changed a lot <laughs> since yeah. the previous generation, right? Like my parents handwrit wrote their applications, <laughs> licked <Yeah>. an envelope. <laughs> That's why they only applied mail. to two schools because yeah. that application right. was long, buddy. And and <laughs> writing out the essay as well. Yeah. Like handwriting. So this has changed a lot. Um, Yes, the Common App has changed things. Um, That actually, by the way, is yet another reason why these admissions rates that I gave you have plummeted because applications have skyrocketed because it's a lot easier to apply to schools these days. um, But this brings me to category four, and this is what I would say has changed the most in the last 20 years in college admissions. Right? I just gave you that data from 2000 to 2022. In all honesty, right, when Cornell in 2000 was a 31% admissions rate, if you had the grades and test scores and wrote a decent essay and like your grades and test scores aligned with their typical bar, you were probably getting admission to Cornell. Now Cornell's at 8%. Now grades and test scores are enough to be considered, right? That like gets you in the consideration (laughs) pool. 
And what now is turning into a more and more important factor every year is what I call category four. And you'll see admissions officers across the country have different words for this. I call it your story. The average application these days is reviewed for eight minutes. Eight minutes, 18 years of a child's life put into something that's going to get reviewed and assessed for eight minutes. So it's never been more important that you have a clear, concise, thoughtful story that says, hey, college, look at what I've done over my first 18 years. And really, to be honest, they care about the last four years, right? High school. Right. And look at how that aligns with what I'm hoping to do to add to your school. So to bring this all together, the reason why actually being in the 50% of my students who have chosen a major helps is because, as you can imagine, it's a lot easier to make that path stand out when you can say, hey, college, I'm going to be, I'm applying for an accounting major. Look at the activities, things I've done, even the class I've taken in high school that align with accounting. And oh, by the way, you're, I'm choosing you because you have a great undergraduate accounting program. And so, I mean, look at how easy of a path that is, right? Right. Versus the other 50% of my students who would apply to that school and say, I'm undecided. And at that point, There's the wrong way to do undecided and the right way to do undecided. The wrong way is to say, I'm undecided and leave it at that. (laughs) If you do that, you're probably going to get rejected these days because it doesn't matter that you have the grades and test scores. You haven't given admissions a clear path of why you should walk into the front doors of their school and be able to help. The right way to do undecided is to say, hey, I'm still undecided. Here are one or two avenues that I want to explore in your school. And here are things that I've done in high school that I think relate to those one or two avenues. And no, I haven't decided yet, but here's a potential path that I can see working, right? Okay. I'll just kind of give you an example because it was myself and I didn't know what I was doing. So I got lucky, but I realized as I look back at like what my application was to Vanderbilt, and I definitely painted this picture as an undecided student of the entrepreneurial guy. And my thing was, I may be undecided. I'm going to use my first year or two at Vanderbilt to explore. But hey, Vanderbilt, by the way, here are some potential avenues I'm interested in. I'm interested in public speaking. I'm interested in economics, right? And I'm interested in exploring the opportunities that you, Vanderbilt, offer. And so while no, I haven't actually defined my major yet, I'm giving you enough of a path. That I see. Smart. Yeah, really smart. I'm... I don't know about you, Wendy. I'm captivated with with kind of what Jack's talking about, how he works with folks, and how much this has all changed in the last 25 years. A lot. Um, and and as we always talk about Gen X being a, a change agent, um, actually, we had a really captivating conversation with Jack prior to starting with this. I'm actually going to let you ask him the question, Wendy, because you guys started talking about this while I had to run a quick errand. So. What, what was going on and what's Jack have coming up? Hey, sorry for the interruption. I know you're listening to the Monetary Mixtape because you want to learn about financial planning and wealth management. If you have any questions at the end, please head over to www.hoffmanwealth.com or look in the show notes to schedule a call with us. Well, yeah. I had asked Jack <laughs> what he thought he would miss the most that we have now that Gen X did not have. Okay. So Jack, tell us a little bit about your upcoming plans. All right. So that was the question. Um, 
And it certainly got me thinking about, you know, at first my answer was so much of my world these days revolves around the internet and Zoom calls with families and, you know, a bunch of my families that I work with are all across the country. Um, But I have started to really feel how connected I am all the time. Okay. And it's sometimes it's really, really nice to, as I would say, go off the grid. And I've kind of been notorious for, you know, every once in a while, just throwing my phone on airplane mode and, you know, reading a good book or going on a walk. And it really helps me feel refreshed. But tomorrow, (laughs) tomorrow, I will actually be going into the woods here in Colorado in a little cabin that I rented out for a day. And I'm going to be completing a 24 hour dopamine fast. So what, what exactly does that entail? So there are different levels to it. Um, the really hardcore dopamine fasters, and I will not be one of these. <laughs> it's it's truly all you can do is drink water and you sit in a room. <laughs> okay. That's their hardcore. That's that's right. not me. This is the first time I will be doing like a formal dopamine fast. Like I said, I've you know kind of dabbled with you know not looking at my phone for a while, etc. But I'm really excited to see what this is going to do to kind of refresh my brain. The The goal of a dopamine fast, by the way, it might sound like crazy and intense. It's just to make your body comfortable again with boredom. It just wasn't that long ago that we didn't have an endless stream of you know content in our pocket. It wasn't that long ago, right? I even remember it when if you were standing in line at the post office, you just stood in line. <laughs> Imagine. Right. And now you can listen to the monetary mixtape while you stand in line at the post office. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> right? Like, it just wasn't that long ago. And yet right. here we are. And it's amazing how quickly humans adapt. That's our nature. It's actually incredible that we as a species are able to adapt that quickly. Um, but sometimes I think it's really important for your brain to to reset. So what I will be doing is kind of what's considered tier two. Um, I'm allowed to drink water. I'm allowed to go on walks. And I'm allowed to journal. And that is it. So no food. Yeah, there's that's kind of a an iffy. Um <laughs> I so they bring up they they specifically say like if you think that, you know, your hunger over 24 hours is really going to take away from it, which I could see. Um they basically say bring food but make it as as, you know, bland as possible. Okay. Because the you know, right, if you're if you're like, oh, I get food and then you're just gorging yourself on pizza, it's defeating the purpose. So gotcha. I, I got to figure that out. I'll probably bring like, um, I don't know, some like, you know, snack bars or or trail mix or something. But the goal is kind of to keep food to a minimum so that you're not just replenishing your dopamine stores that way. Gotcha. Fascinating. Well, we're going to have to check in and find out how this goes um, and, and publish some sort of whether it's a video or, or something or to find out how this turned out for you, because I know that I'm going to be interested to know, I got to imagine that our listeners are going to be intrigued to find out how this went. Um, so we'll have to figure out a way to, to reconnect with you to, to figure out um, how this went for you. If it, if it accomplished what you're hoping it does um, and maybe inspire the rest of us to disconnect for a little bit and, and reset our brains and, and, you know, rethink about the way we're, we're approaching a lot of things. And how much crying you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, speaking of, of you know, rethinking our approaches, what, what are some mistakes that you see families making as 
if they're entering your program, maybe halfway through a junior year or that they've started doing in a sophomore year and then they've engaged your program? What are some mistakes you see them making? The number one mistake, hands down, that I see from parents who some of them end up joining, families join, some of them don't, is starting too late. Okay. Absolutely the number one. Like this isn't even close. I'll bring up a few more, but this is number one. Now, um, can they recover from that if they've started too late? They they can. Okay. It will, it will be hard. And so just to put in perspective, I work with students anywhere from really a two to four year window. I have students join my program as early as freshman year in high school and as late as junior year in high school. Somewhere in the spring of junior year of high school is when I end my program and say no more juniors are allowed to join. Now, for a lot of parents out there, they might be saying, what? Like, I thought you just kind of think about college senior year of high school, right? That seems to make sense. Sure. The college planning process is not rocket science. I am sitting here as someone who has worked in this field now for 13 years. It's not rocket science, but it takes time. If students want to actually have a thoughtful process of exploring what schools might be a fit, learning about them, figuring out what schools aren't a fit, taking a school list down from 40 to 20 to eventually 12 final schools they apply to, these things take time. Sure, and sure you could do that in a week, but it's not done well. And so a while ago, you know, my first few years of doing this, I would take on families who would come to me in September of senior year, kind of nervous, scrambling and say, we've got a lot to go. And I, would, you know, work with them and it is reparable, but let me tell you, it is so much harder when you start late. Okay. So then the question is, right. Okay. Well, when's the ideal time to start, right? Um, it varies based on the student. When I have freshmen reach out, I'm very particular because oftentimes freshmen really just need to focus on one thing and it's their high school grades. Okay. I have the occasional, like very mature freshman, much more mature than I was <laughs> the freshman in high school, where I actually say, you know what, you could actually benefit from some of my teachings. Let's start now. But for the most part, freshman year, my advice is come back to me as sophomores for this year, focus on high school grades. Okay. Sophomore year, great time to start college planning. Early junior year, great time to start plan college planning. As we're recording this podcast, we're now starting to get into that phase of, yes, I will still take on junior families, but I want them to know they're starting to get into the phase of, you're going to have some catch up to do, right? Yeah. It's February of junior year. Even little things like if you want to take two or three rounds of the SAT or ACT to get your best score, there's some months that go by that the SAT and ACT don't offer a score. Then you take the test and it's three or four weeks after that you get your score. Like things just take time to happen. And so it's important that families give themselves that time. And I cannot stress enough how much less stressful it will be okay. <laughs> throughout the whole process if you actually aren't saying, oh, next month is college applications. It's a lot easier to say we've got time to do this right. So if you were to give one tip to every high school student right now, yeah. it's start early. If you haven't started, start right now. Yeah. And, and then like, really, I'll, I'll give one actual actionable tip, right? Because you can say start, but even then I know what it was like as a 16 year old. You're like, okay, where do I start? Let me go play video games with my friends. Right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I would start by building your first school list. And this is actually, this can be a parent and student activity. I recommend starting that school list in Google Sheets. I recommend clicking the share button in the upper right and sharing it with mom and dad and student. 
it is so much more fun when it's collaborative. Okay. There's no one who knows a student better than their parents. Yeah. And even if on that school list, you keep this Google sheet as simple as possible. I'm talking name of school, location of school, size, like number of students, and then just have a column, parent notes, student notes. That's it. What you can do is you can start adding. And even if you just add the local state school, it's around the corner. You've added one school. Yeah. That will start the momentum. That'll start helping you as a student realize, oh, I can do this. Like this actually can be fun. (laughs) I think a lot of students struggle to start because they think of it as another homework assignment. And actually in a way, it's way more fun than any homework assignment I ever did in high school. I promise (laughs) if students are listening to this, because you're in essence shopping for where you want to like experience some incredible life experiences for your next four years. And you're shopping around and you're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Schools are waving and saying, please give me your parents' tuition money. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. So if if you come at it from that approach and you just get the ball rolling, it's amazing to see the progress that'll happen. All of a sudden, that one school on your list will go to two, three, four, five. All of a sudden, it actually becomes fun. You're saying, oh, what schools can I experiment with? A tremendous insight. And and speaking of tremendous insight, one thing that, that I want to touch on before we wrap up, you're also an author, right? You've written a book. Yes. Talk a little bit about your book. So I wrote a book. Um, background here is when I graduated from college, I you know entered the real world. I was actually living in Chicago my first two years out of college with one of my best friends. And we've always kind of been on the same page in in life, do a lot of the same things. And when we would have mistakes in life, we would just write them down in our phones. And, you know, we were 23 and then we were 24. And there's a lot that you learn in those first few years of like, I'll call it real adulthood. Technically, you're an adult, you know, when you're at the end of college, but Let's be honest, it's a different vibe when you're in right. college and everything's paid for and you're like, I'm an adult, but you know, you go to the dining hall and swipe <laughs> a card and it's free. Right. So we learned and a you lot. You eat at the endless buffet and it doesn't affect your waistline. And yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so we learned a lot, you know, our first real jobs out of college, living like paying rent. There's just a lot of things in those first couple of years that, you know, we kind of learned on our own and similar to the story of, you know, my college consulting. Um, I basically just kept track of everything I did wrong. (laughs) And (laughs) it's amazing how, when you do that for two years, (laughs) you build up a big list. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'll just give you one chapter. It's, um, like, uh, don't pay for $56 of macaroni and cheese at whole foods. (laughs) And And the story with that is like, we got invited to a friend's giving before Thanksgiving and, you know, you're supposed to like cook before it, but right. 23 year olds or, and you know, we just didn't. <laughs> and so we we're like, Oh, but this will be fun. We'll just go to the hot bar at, at whole foods and like load up on Mac and cheese and we'll bring it as our kind of dish. Well, the hot bar at whole foods is based on weight. Oh. <laughs> right. So we get to the cash register and we're like poor right out of college kids, like $56 is a ton of money for us. 
and it comes up $56 and we look at each other, but like, we're also now in a position, what do we do? Like, are you going to look at the cashier and be like, no. So (laughs) you just bite the bullet, pay for it. But that's now a chapter in our book, which obviously a lot of the chapters in our book, they're very small. It's one, two, three pages. And the title of it is lessons for our younger brothers. So we started writing, you know, these chapters, but the goal is basically it each revolves around a moment in time. And then we extrapolate to a bigger theme. And, you know, we actually then go into um, actually in that chapter, somewhat managing personal finances every month. Right. And yeah, why spending $56 on Mac and cheese is <laughs> ideal for managing personal finances. So it was a, it was a really fun project. I never in my life thought I'd be an author, but we started, you know, when we got enough of these chapters, we said, Hey, we should write, we should write this. And so we yeah. wrote, the course of like a year and then we presented it to our younger brothers under the christmas tree on christmas morning i guess that was 2018 um and it was cool to have like a hardcover book that we presented and i didn't tell my parents or anything and they were obviously shocked they're like wait we have an author for a son and i guess you know <laughs> amazon self-publishing i guess if you can call it that but it, it has been fun and it's funny i will still see to this day every once in a while right because i have families coming up through my program and i'm very careful to tell them the book is designed for after college okay but even then i still have some of my families who are just in my college consulting and i'll see that they bought it and i'll get the little like you know email notification like here we are 5 <laughs> years later it's still getting purchased from amazon and it's i was going to say it's available on amazon right it is that's awesome congratulations on that that's that's a tremendous idea and you know, clearly you have that entrepreneurial gift that, that you can see the uh, the voids that need to be filled and then the drive and, and talent to fill them. So congrats on everything you're, you're doing, man. It's it's tremendous stuff. Um, I'm excited for our listeners to hear this. I'm excited for for Gen X parents to uh, to be able to follow your content um, and help their kids. If they want to get in touch with you, what what's the best way for them to to reach out, um, to engage your services or, or to inquire about what? Uh, their children's uh, college search process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the easiest way to just be in the loop and actually get free insights, you can go to collegeconsulting.us. That is my website. On there, there'll be a little newsletter button. You can just click that newsletter and actually add your name and email to it. I send out an email about once a week with thoughtful insights, tips, etc. So it'll be entirely free. And that's a very easy way to gain some of this knowledge as you know, I progress through this journey. If you are interested in actually getting in touch and talking about, you know, kind of my more complete programs, you can shoot me an email, jack at collegeconsulting.us and I'll respond. Awesome. And you have a YouTube channel. I actually took something away. The first video I watched on your YouTube channel. Um, I wish I would have known as I was going through high school and college, known this, um, you talked about writing a paper and, in and, you know, the, the weekly check-ins with your teachers about your topic and writing the paper. So it's something I'm immediately going to deliver to my boys when it comes time for them to, to write papers and turn things in because it engages your teacher all along the way. And they can't not give you a high score on this paper when you turn it in, because they've basically helped you write it the, the whole process. So you're, you're putting tremendous content out there, even if you are not in the college search phase yet check out his youtube channel also there's some great things there um this has been a true pleasure i know our listeners are, are going to enjoy this and i look forward to catching up with you about your dopamine fast and 
and how that went and, and have you as a, a regular guest here to, to talk about the, the ever-changing landscape of, of the college search process. So thank you very much for joining us, Jack. Uh, good luck on the dopamine fast. I'd uh, maybe load up on some carbs here for the next couple of, <laughs> couple of hours before you head out into the woods. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, Wendy. And as a parent, I'll make sure you tell your folks when it's over so they know you're back home safe too. Okay. Please do. <laughs> um, and as always, if you ever want to get in touch with us, HoffmanWealth.com is, is our website, very active on LinkedIn as Will Hoffman. And uh, look forward to, to our next episode in the, the ongoing series of uh, college planning and education funding. Thanks so much, Will. Uh, please remember to like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Don't bounce just yet. The streetlights haven't come on. Thank you for listening to the Monetary Mixtape Podcast. If you thought this episode was dope, then click the follow button to be notified when we drop a new episode. Visit our website at hoffmanwealth.com or give us a call at 724-522-5411. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hoffman Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, investment advice offered through Private Advisor Group, a registered investment advisor. Private Advisor Group and Hoffman Wealth Management are separate entities from LPL Financial. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly.